I don't think I should dance tonight. I feel strange. I think you can do the performance. Are you receiving? Yes. <laughs> I get a vibration. I get an image. I see a face. Jason. Jason. Yes. Yeah. Jason. Synesthesia to me is, uh, is a true definition of the mixing of the senses. What makes synesthesia exciting, it takes us all the way from just the mingling of the senses, all the way to metaphors or even transcending the senses, where you uh, are no longer constrained by the tyranny of individual sense impressions. Jason, what are you talking about? <laughs> Synesthesia, a movie podcast featuring Jason Mikhailich and Jim Hickox, begins now. Pull the string. What? W or U? Much less pleasant. I mean, I guess depending on the flower. There are flowers that... (laughs) As we are... As we amply prove. I am. I am just in case. I'm not, but I am now. Okay. I'm sorry if any of that banter was good. I you only have half of it. <laughs> That's all right. I don't know how to do anything anymore. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Hey. <laughs> Let's see if I still remember how to do this. I mean, I don't. We never knew. No. So what's happening? Who knows, man? I mean, (laughs) I don't want to get political. Well. (laughs) But everything's bad. Yeah. Yeah. I just said... (laughs) Here, yeah. <laughs> I... 
big little bit 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 occasionally that are not floating. How about now? Whoa. Hmm. Okay, yeah, you sound normal again. The marsupial angle, in and of itself, makes it an outlier in the full werewolf film genre of literature and cinema. Right? I mean, how often is there a genuine innovation in werewolves? Right? Never. I mean, it almost never comes up. Um, Yeah. And usually if there is some innovation it's to like just tweak like the rules of how they relate to vampires sure, or something like that sure. to make a whatever like, world thing or they're like in this movie instead of silver you have to use platinum right and you're yeah, like yeah okay. or whatever yeah cool um uh but yeah so the howling three it takes place in australia yeah shot on location in australia yes um and posits the existence of marsupial werewolves yeah. that is that is the first big like flag it plants <laughs> <laughs> if we're talking about uh we're talking about big choices that this film yeah. has made but it is not the last no but that's the one we're going to be talking about today on this special halloween edition of a podcast that hasn't put an episode out in six months <laughs> <laughs> Is That's what makes the episodes so special. <laughs> is it good that we're coming back to do a Halloween episode now that film is officially dead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a moratorium. Is that no? That's yeah. not the word I mean. Uh, <laughs> we're uh, we're gonna resurrect our movie podcast now that movies don't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that video stores and theaters uh, have died and producing films is illegal. Yeah, um, it's time. All that exists is Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I watched this movie. Oh, me too. Uh, again, uh, is where where I found it again. Um, and the movie we're talking about is The Howling Three, oh, oh. the Marsupials, or as the opening credits say, the Marsupials, the Howling Three. <laughs> um, I was gonna ask you. I, I was originally gonna start this off with asking you like your relationship to werewolf movies in general mm. um but i don't know i mean i don't know if you have anything i i tend to i love werewolves for some reason I just i'm like trying them to a think lot. i i also i identify with them i think of all the like standard issue horror creatures they are the one that i feel the most connected to um i shot that werewolf movie that hopefully hopefully it'll be out soon um that I sort of used for myself as a as a uh, as like a like a chaos magic moment to to try to elevate myself into a werewolf. Um, that's my whole relationship. I haven't seen. I don't. I'm trying to think how many werewolf I mean, movies I've seen. I feel like it's not a ton. I love the Wolfman. Um. So how do we want to approach <laughs> Jason Three? Oh, sorry, you- I just sat on a ball and I'm falling. <laughs> I thought it would be a good idea, but it was a bad idea. Do you feel like we should frame it with... We've we've obviously talked in, in depth and at length about The Exorcist 3 and, uh, and about Halloween 3. And in those conversations, we've noted that those films are oft maligned, but uniquely uh intelligent and interesting within their individual uh strains right um and so i feel like there might be some magic in the thirds um and so we've been kind of looking for the thirds uh and not super successfully um like uh friday the 13th no not really um hellraiser i don't think so uh (laughs) 
no. paranormal activity uh, probably the same as the other ones you know it's there there aren't there don't seem to be just running it running the numbers a lot of outstanding thirds i don't think it's a dominant trend like final destination if i remember mm-hmm. correctly the third is one of my least favorite ones is that true I just remember them I, all being I, pretty good. I, I mean, yeah. No, like, they never I, dip below a certain level of quality. I just, yeah. if I'm ranking them in my... I probably don't actually remember which ones are which. I just remember thinking, like, I have a negative association with three. I think three might be the one... I think the only reason I might not like three is because it's the one with the tanning bed scene. Oh, okay, okay. Which just was just, I like, a few more levels of gross than I needed. Yeah, that's fair. Alien 3 fits into the mold, except that I don't like it. Like that's the thing. Yeah, like, exactly. That's I, which would make it maybe an interesting inclusion in there because it is. Yeah, it's the third film in a horror franchise that is massively critically acclaimed, and this one yeah. people don't like. But I also don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So, I agree with everyone else on that. I mean, I feel like inherently the project is it's not doomed, but like you have to modulate the expectations down because you're dealing with. Yeah, you're already dealing with movies that have many sequels, so already you're. Yes. In like a sub basement of film, yeah, and then you're yeah, looking limited... at <laughs> like sequels to sequels. Yeah, it, it it's you're looking for for diamonds very much in the rough. Yeah, but I mean, you when you keep running it, you're like uh, like Godfather three. Godfather three is doing something special, and people don't like it. That's true. I you feel should... like we came up with one or two others that were also not horror related. Yeah, we did. At first, I thought maybe we could get a whole bunch of for you know for the for the split two spectacular i thought we could get a whole bunch of thirds mm. yeah from horror films or some sort of trio or something i don't know that was the genesis of the movie mm-hmm. but yeah we did come up with a number of ones that sort of fit outside of horror but then the question does become like does it just need to be it can't just be that the movie is better than people say it is right like no it's well that's the, right exorcist and halloween are both a distinct departure, right? Which is why yeah. why I think people hate them. Yes. Um, they're not just, like, people... It's like Godfather, right, is, like, the continuation of the same story. It just hits a point where people are like, this is garish and I don't like it anymore. I think it does sort of fit. The only thing that doesn't really fit is that they're all by the same person. Although, if you wanted to save Francis Ford Coppola of the 1970s is a different person than <laughs> Coppola of the 90s, I'd be... As a filmmaker. It. I'd say he's a different yeah. filmmaker, for sure. <clears throat> um, but, like, one of the interesting things about... Well, I guess Exorcist 3 is half and half, right? Because it's yeah. it's the film that's finally being made by William Peter Blatty, who... Yeah, it's the Exorcist the... finally achieving its its purest <laughs> form, you could argue. <laughs> Yeah, in in a in a movie based on a book not called The Exorcist. Yeah. Um, but some of the other ones we thought of, like it, it's hard to draw the line, right? Because there are films that are that are thirds that I think get a raw deal, but that yes. aren't like a quantum leap, or they aren't that unique. Like RoboCop Three comes to mind. Yes. You know, I genuinely like that movie, and I've met almost no one else who agrees. Yeah. Um, but it is it's it's a a reasonable continuation of the RoboCop saga, right? Yeah. There's nothing. I mean, it's it it makes some choices, but it's nothing so bold that you're like, well, that's a different kind yeah. of movie. I feel like people who don't like it might say that it is, and that they would say like that's when RoboCop really became more of a like a standard issue, um, like superhero type character where the idea mm. is to sell toys as opposed to. Sure. Uh, critique fascism but i think it also still does <laughs> to a certain extent like it, it has I mean, a robot cop is like <laughs> yeah it's hard to make that not a fascist critique <laughs> but sure, sure it doesn't really fit the mold right it doesn't really fit the mold of exorcist 3 right of halloween 3 season of the witch um where it is I mean, even with Exorcist 3, you can say that is a different artist coming in because Exorcist, the film, really, as much as Blatty was the writer and the producer... It's a Friedkin movie. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why Blatty wanted to recut it for the 2000 release, and it's because Friedkin made a film that Blatty didn't agree with. Like, he took it away from what Blatty cared about. Um, And so when he gets a chance to do his own thing, you know, he, he very much departs from anything that had gone before 
um, and and brings a, a new voice to it. I feel like it, most it, of the list ended up just being grievances of like, yeah. well, we like these pretty well and people say they're by it, but they're not. Yeah. It's not on that next level of like, no, 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 this is actually the best film in the series. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. you know, with all due respect to Friedkin's The Exorcist, which is a, a solid film and all due respect to Carpenter's yes. Halloween, which I love. Yeah. Agreed. If I really call the task, it's going to be Blatty's adaptation of Legion and it's yes. going to be Tommy Lee Wallace doing Celtic child <laughs> sacrifice via toy company. Yeah, agreed. Um, so I guess that brings us to the only film that we did find that... That seemed rem- worth exploring. Sort of fits the mold, although not really, for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, This movie, in the opening credits, says it's based on a book. (laughs) And I came back to that every eight minutes in my head. (laughs) I think I said it out loud four times, and and then internally several more. This is based on a book. So I did... Based on a book called The Howling (laughs) Three. And I was like... Was that a novelization that they wrote before the movie? Did they write... Were they like, this is what the third movie's gonna be? Okay, make this script into a book. This movie is now based on this book? Or was it a pre-existing... Did somebody write books and they based the first three howlings on them and this is what the third book is? Okay, so I did do the requisite um, Wikipedia research. <laughs> Clearly I did not. Questions. <laughs> no, that's good. It's, it's better that at least one of us doesn't. Um, yeah, I, guess I, that's true. I wish I had the guts to not do it and just speculate. <laughs> but I, I also, I'd seen this movie before, but I had missed that credit somehow. <laughs> and I saw that this time and I immediately, I was like, wait, I, before I even start watching this again, I need to find out what the fuck's going on. <laughs> um, so The Howling, the original film, is yes. based on a book called The Howling. That makes sense. By... <laughs> author whose name I'm not remembering right now, the little tingly edit fairy will drop the name in here. Gary Branner. So the film was not, to my understanding, a particularly faithful adaptation of the book. Sure. The book is, however, the first in a trilogy of books that are called Howling 2 and Howling 3, but the second and third movies have absolutely nothing to do with them, and I think are just technically based on them contractually is it is it contractually or is it then a joke i mean they're like sure this is based (laughs) on the howling three who cares (laughs) well it's extra funny too because i think the writer of the original novel got to work on the screenplay for the second movie and was inserting elements from the first book that got left out that he liked but inserted them into a completely new weird story in a way that like it didn't actually like Blatty. Track. Yeah. So there is a little Blatty energy <laughs> yeah. to that. Um, but the second one, which I, I would like to see, the title of the yes. second film is The Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. Okay. Which has, again, that I mean, right. that appeals to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, li- I like that if they're like, oh, it's one of the characters from the first movie's sister is now a werewolf. But I like it even more if it's if they're talking to the viewer. Yeah, right? Like, hey, guess what? They're like, yeah, we externally from the film have infected your family. (laughs) I just like how direct that subtitle is. Yeah. It's not like Blood Ties, The Howling 2. It's like, no, your sister's a werewolf. (laughs) Um, So I would like to see that. My understanding, again, through bare bones Wikipedia research, you know, a little internet surfing, uh, a little filling in the gaps with my own imagination. Uh, the director of The Howling 2. Philip Mora. Mm-hmm. Who was also the director of Howling 3, was upset with changes that the studio made to Howling 2. Okay. And so Howling 3 was his chance to, like, 
do the movie he wanted to do. So again, oh. little blatty energy, but just yeah. from the director standpoint. Sure, sure. Um, so I don't know anything about the story, really, of Howling or Howling 2, nor do I need to. I know that they take place in America. Yes. And this film does not. Correct. Except for a couple of scenes. Sure. In- but... That they're supposed the to. movie takes place in Australia. Yeah. Um, and in around howling... Sydney. I don't know if you noticed, Jason, the Sydney Opera House. I don't know if you saw it. It was in uh, there. I, I saw it, and I actually was wondering, do you know if it ever snows on the Opera House? No. No. <laughs> Just wondering. Hey, does it ever snow on the Opera House? <laughs> no, why? Just wondering. Can't we find the little bitch? Aunt Lou will get a scent. She can smell a wallaby ten miles away. I've got a scent already. Um, do we want to take a stab at relaying any kind of, like, there's no way we could actually summarize the plot of the film. Because as I said, it's 90 minutes and the entire time the plot is moving. But just yeah. like the, like the, what the capsule elevator pitch would be beyond just it's australia and there are marsupial werewolves sure we have a rural marsupial werewolf who's come to sydney uh who um a filmmaker falls in love with her and pulls her into the world of film simultaneously this man whose father disappeared into the outback uh while while researching the werewolves of the outback comes uh because the government sends him because they're worried about there being werewolves um and a Russian ballerina comes to Sydney at the same time. Um, the Russian werewolf uh, has some sort of cosmic impulse to mate with the marsupial werewolf. They run into each other. They have a couple of werewolf outbreaks. Oh, also three werewolves dressed like nuns are after Jerboa. That's not really that important, I guess. The main dude sort of falls in love with the Russian werewolf. The Russian werewolf is pursuing this guy out in the country. Jerboa so then everyone moves out to the country to find her and or the dude who's in charge of her thing um the government shows up they capture all the werewolves uh the guy who's fallen in love with a russian werewolf is like i'm gonna help you escape so he helps and the big dude marsupial sacrifices himself in a crazy way which is also worth talking about um f- for a reason i don't understand and then, uh, and then they move out to the outback and live there for twenty years. Uh, oh, except the marsupial lady and her dude shows up, and he's like, "Hey, everyone knows about werewolves now. It's cool. Uh, it was really bad for a while, but now everything's fine, and you're a hero." And then they move to California, where he becomes a professor again, uh, and only shows the same clip that he showed from the beginning. And meets the son of the other werewolf, and then she turns into a werewolf on live television. Right? Is that the movie? I. This is. That's good. That was a lot. That was even more. That was more detail than I expected. I was more of like. I didn't mean to go into that much detail. I didn't mean to. <laughs> no, I know, it's but just that's hard. What thinking. Like it's you, the you plot just keeps spinning out, like flopping out. Yeah. Once um, the nuns come in, you can't stop. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's also Kennedy, the big gear, beard guy who just pops up everywhere. Um, and really likes to try to scare people. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the, like, the main dude, marsupial werewolf, who he and Kennedy both summon this, like, werewolf god spirit into themselves, where they have to paint themselves. Yeah. And, and, but when he does it, he turns huge. Um... Well, he but, specifically but asks he to does become the big ask. one. Yeah, he wants to be the big one. And then we see his head, and it's like nine feet. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I was uh, kind of taken by with this film mm-hmm. is the global scale of its plot yes <laughs> like right in the beginning you get this like little anthropological glimpse of the outback in yeah. you know the early 20th century mm-hmm. and then you blip a bunch right of like white people Soviet dressed up as Union in the 80s yeah well <laughs> 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 um 
then, then you yeah you then you blip right to like the Soviet Union in the eighties, yeah. and then you jump to you know American Central Intelligence, and then yeah. you jump into Australia, yes. and and the the film keeps that that scope even while it is obviously incredibly provincial in its production. Yes, like of where it was we shot never stop and who hearing is about being involved or thinking in about it. Soviet Russia. Yeah, it like they it, it keeps that scope open in in I thought honestly really interesting rhythmic ways uh, in, yes. in terms of like the structure of the film. I would say rhythm is one of this film's strongest points, just broadly. Yeah, uh, I think that this film say more about that. I mean, so. Uh, <sighs> I think that it does some, like, right, it has the marsupial thing, and it, it has some fun goofs in it, um, and it, like, does some things that are, that are like, sort of uh, joyful and interesting with the plot and stuff, but for me, the most interesting things it's doing are sort of technical and structural, uh, playful things, um, but one of them, I, I wrote down, like, three scenes in, I was like, this movie is, like, clipping along. It... It's just it's just jumping from the middle of a scene to the middle of a scene to the middle of a scene, and you have to keep up, right? It's edited. This goes back to oh, your yeah. uh, sort of childhood uh, thought that movies sort of were meant to be cut down into trailers, right? It's the whole movie is cut. At least the first, I know, mostly the whole thing is sort of cut like a trailer, right? They're like meat of the scene, meat of the scene, meat of the scene, um, and they're yeah. never. You never walk into a space. You never leave a space. You're just in a space. A thing happens, and then you're in another space, um, which I love. It uh, moves so fast. It moves so fast, and then which it, it's sort of at the beginning. You're like pop, 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 thing, 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 and then in the middle, it sort of feels. I mean, either I got used to it, or it slows down a little bit, and it feels more like a movie. And then at the end, they're like eight years, eighteen years. We're now in the yeah. future. Who cares? It's uh, it really it gallops at the end. <laughs> No, I, yeah. I think the film modulates the its pacing it's... actually really brilliantly, like I, yeah. like genuinely. Um, in yes. that it does start out with the like massive jumps, like absolutely no time for transition. It's just jumping right from, like we said, like you know, early twentieth century outback, Soviet Union, American intelligence, somebody yeah. showing the film of the outback. Yeah. Then discussing the the signals from the intelligence, and they, it's like boom, 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 and, and then we're like, like jumping like in the outback like... with no context, <laughs> where like the marsupials are, you know, the the you know the Australian werewolves are doing their tribal thing, and then yeah. like somebody decides they're leaving, and it's like smash cut to a bus, smash cut to a joke about the yeah. bus, smash cut to like this yes. next thing, and it's it's moving along. But then you're right, it does start to dilate the pacing. Uh, towards the middle but not in a way where it's like oh it starts to drag no. it is it is just that they're like they we have all of this plot to get through yeah. and instead of pretending that we don't and having it like normal scenes but with exposition it's just like let's mm -hmm. blast through this and then we'll get yes. to these scenes where we can actually take our time with sort of the the um tonal effects of this world that we've created and then yeah. when we, at the end, we can jump back in and it's this blitzkrieg of sort of plot results. So like, you know, spinning out like what the ramifications of everything that's happened in the movie are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is like you, it's, it's we, we like meet the guy teaching a college class and then someone's like, the president wants to see you. And then he's in a room with the president and the president's like, you have to go to Sydney. And then he's on top of a building in Sydney talking to a guy he knows there. Right. It's just like three <laughs> shots. You're there. And then, and then we meet the like main, uh, lady marsupial Jerboa. Uh, and she's like, this is why I'm leaving. And then she's on a bus and then she's sleeping in a park in Sydney. Uh, and then, a, and then a guy's like, I want to give you a job. It's yeah, get it there and then they're like, now we're set. <laughs> now the scene is laid, right? Everyone's in the same town. Uh, also, P.S. There's a Russian ballerina who just moved to Australia. Let's go. <laughs> and that, even that, that was like the the obviously like the most ham-fisted, you know, piece sure. of information. Like they literally walk. They past... show you a newspaper. Oh yeah, they walk past a sign yeah, that they, has the they, newspaper they headline. Because they can't even afford to make the newspaper, right? So they yeah. just show walk past a newspaper vendor <laughs> that has a handwritten sign with the headline they want you to know is yeah. in the newspaper. Yeah. Then they never show you the newspaper. But anyway, so, but but it's that. And then they like 
mention it so you know, okay, well, there's werewolves in the Soviet Union. It's a ballerina yes. coming from the Soviet Union. Obviously, they're setting something up. Got it. They hang a lampshade on it in, like, I thought, a really fun way where the guy's like, well, that's a hell of a coincidence. And the other guy goes, yeah. it's synchronicity. There's no such thing as coincidence. I was like, all right, that's the kind of movie we're yeah. doing now. <laughs> Everything yeah. is just moving ahead towards the same point. But mm-hmm. even in that context, when they do introduce the ballerina, mm-hmm. like 40 minutes later, it's done in this oblique way for a plot-driven horror film that I found actually really tantalizing and interesting. It's like, even though I know... That the Soviet, like, this person's almost certainly going to be a werewolf. Yes. It's like the way they introduce it, they they don't hinge it on it being a surprise that it's a werewolf. They hinge right. it on the scene revealing certain aspects of this werewolfdom that you don't yeah. understand yet. That they yes. just plop you in the middle of. They're like, well, you know this is a werewolf. We're not going to tell you yet right away that it's a werewolf. So it's right. not like but you're you know. like coming in and here's the information, but we know you know, so now we're just going to have them doing mysterious things and then you're yeah. going to focus on that. I just thought it was really nicely done. It is really nice. Yeah, there, she's like, she has, she's with another guy who may or may not be a werewolf, but is apparent. It's clearly a psychic, right? He like, his hair twitches and he's receiving signals. And then he's oh like, oh my God, that... He, draws a face and he's like is this a guy and she's like that's the guy and you're like are they there to eat somebody are they you know there's it's it's just creating more entry and then he checks her teeth and her eyeballs are so big there are so many good acting choices through this whole movie yeah Um, yeah i I did highlight that scene in particular uh, like the hair the hair twitch is really something special Yeah, where he's just, like, moving, shifting his face around. I wish that this wasn't... This is, like, the one thing that makes me wish... Well, there's a bunch of them, but this is the thing that most makes me wish this was not an audio medium we're dealing with, because I want to just take that scene and show it to everybody, where he's just looking at her, and he's twitching his face in the funniest ways, and she just looks and goes, are you receiving? He's like, I think so. that's afraid to let its plot go like it doesn't care about like i i feel like most films even films that are very plot oriented are not so much interested in a plot going somewhere as they are in introducing plot elements having them serve their purpose and then sort of tying it back up to like a satisfying conclusion that replicates whatever the status quo was at the beginning of the film, but with a little difference, right? Sure. Like it, we, we know that basic story arc just from yeah. looking at Hollywood films and thinking about Hollywood films. And this is one of those films. And I'm always so appreciative of them when they come across, uh, when I, when I come across one and it's an entertaining film that also just lets a plot go. Like it yeah. lets it like, here's an idea Here's the thing that happens from that idea. We're not going to keep this closed down. We're not going to wrap it up. We're just going to yeah. keep going like, okay, well, then what would happen next? Then what would happen next? Yeah. Would the army come into it? Would a different country come in here? Would this person start talking to this person this way? And they change their relationship over the course of 40 years? Like, yeah, it, it, they just let it happen. And But it all works. Like, it's not, it's not like, you know, plot stuff just for the sake of plot stuff. It all actually sure. works as the story they're doing. Yeah. Which is kind of remarkable. It is really nice. It's really nicely put together. But it also does a bunch of... I mean, it has a lot of sort of uh, self-reflexive meta meta stuff, right? There's like, they go to see that movie, It Came From Uranus, uh, which is (laughs) inexplicably also a werewolf movie. Um, and, And they do basically a cheaper version of the werewolf transformation from the movie you're watching, right? Yeah. Uh, and Jerboa, the were- the marsupial werewolf, is like, that's not how it happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, but m- even more notably, maybe, right? W- we skipped over this, but at the beginning when the main dude is talking to the president, there's they're in the middle of a conversation. It's being edited like a normal scene in this movie. Uh, and then they both turn to the camera, and <laughs> the main dude is like, why are we being filmed? 
And the president's like, oh, we just film everything now. And then it cuts back out to a wide shot, and there isn't, there's, not only is there not a camera where they were just looking at the camera, there's nothing there. There's not even a piece of furniture where there could be, right? So, like, clearly they're just referencing the film being made. The, the, he's like, why are they making a movie right now? And the president's like, oh, they're making a movie out of all of this. Don't worry about it. It's so good. Yeah, it's really nice. Do you want to talk about exploitation at all? Sure. I I don't know. I don't know that I'm smart enough to really get into it. Um, I have. Well, I don't know. I just didn't know if you had any thoughts. Well, I did. Part part way through this movie, I was I wrote a note where I was like, "Does this actually count as exploitation?" Because I'm not really sure what the definitional limits. Are. You know, most of the time when people say exploitation, it's a film that sort of selling itself on the idea of whatever the is right where they're like the main or a main draw is the thing that is being ploited um and i feel like the exploitations movies that i've seen feel kind of 50 50 on that right like some people say mad max um like dead end drive-in or uh turkey shoot um yeah they're all definitely like Australia movies, but I feel like most of them aren't, like, check it out, we're in Australia. Um, well, I feel like there's two different ways you can approach it, right? So it can be the, it can be the exploitation, like, whatever mm-hmm. the, whatever the thing is, is what's being exploited, like, sexploitation, mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but there's also, I think, just the idea, and I think what exploitation, what people usually mean when they refer to it as, is that is the um, phenomenon of exploitation films being made in Australia as like the as the cottage industry of exploitation films at Australia birth? I see. At, you know, in the seventies and eighties. Sure. Um, I think that's what. There's a film called "It Came from Down Under." I want to okay. say that's it's like one of those Netflix documentaries on um, exploitation film, and I think okay. watching that. A bunch of years ago is where I first heard about the Howling Three and was like, "Oh, I'd like to see that." Um, And that covers like Dead End Drive-In and Razorback. Um, Honestly, it covers like Wake and Fright, which has now been oh interesting rescued. Um, And and it covers other stuff like the raunchy sex comedies. Okay, Um, Patrick is a big one. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, um, I didn't even realize that was Australian. Yeah, so it, it, was, it was this like, and and definitely, obviously, Mad Max. Um, not right. so much Road Warrior. Road Warrior is like the, it's Road Warrior is that phenomenon in the '80s of like the the elevation of exploitation films, yes. like the elevation of B B films to the next level of budget, right, and status. Yeah, um, but the original Mad Max is is like pure exploitation film. Yeah. So so I guess when I was writing, I w- I was the thing that was kind of throwing me is that it is the third movie in a series and it feels weird for 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 uh an already established horror series to then become exploitation right I, so for me it felt like it mm-hmm. felt like it by virtue of having a pedigree it sort of sidestepped that but but i don't know if i don't know i'm not a film studies person i don't know anything about how well no no but i mean i, I think it's a reasonable categorized point anything, but I think it's a reasonable point, um, but I, it, it does. But, I, I do think you could say that's like they they got to make this third film, and for whatever reason, decided to make a third film that was very heavily like Australia based. Yeah, that was like it is, hey, and like this time say, we're doing it. You know, down when under. you say marsupials, you assume you know marsupials plural. They're probably in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Right? Yeah, it's like that's definitely one of title. the selling points of Australia is yeah. uh, marsupials. Like, what do we have? Opossums? I think that's it. I think that's our only marsupial. I was just, this, so this movie also has the production of another film called Shapeshifters Part 8 inside of it, right? That Jerboa the werewolf gets sort of pulled into. And we meet this, like, I think supposed to be Hitchcock knockoff director, uh, although you can't quite tell. Um, 
And there's a really delightful sequence where What do you mean you can't like, quite tell? I mean, I was pretty sure, but I wasn't totally sure, because he could also just <laughs> be a chubby white guy. A chubby white guy who talks about Janet Lee in the shower. That's true, he does talk about... There are a lot and of And then there's Hitchcock a bird's references. poster, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. No, um, it's clearly... It's it's like a like an Australian party Hitchcock. Yeah, I yes. love that character. Well, I guess that's it. It's like he's far enough from Hitchcock, both as a human specimen and as a character, that I was like, I'm pretty sure this is a Hitchcock riff. Um, but he is, he's like, yeah, like 80s party boy Hitchcock. Um, but there's that really beautiful sequence where he's like, cut, action, cut, action. And it's like jumping back and forth in them filming the final shot of, of Shapeshifters Part 8. But when we first meet that guy... Uh, he has like sort of a lofty conversation and he says what I think is maybe a thesis for both of the director of this film. And I think all of us together, uh, he says, everything is high art, um, which I feel like, <laughs> I feel like is definitely the person who directed this movie being like, I realize this is the marsupials, the howling three, but like, watch me work it. <laughs> Along with that, they also have the argument when uh, when Jerboa and her and her human mate are uh, in Hollywood towards the mm-hmm. end. They mm-hmm. have that argument on set about like the artistic quality of their films. Yes, which is amazing because yeah. it's just first of all, it's him in a fake mustache and a funny yes. hat. Yes, uh, that's his disguise, and her, her disguise, disguise apparently is, is just glasses. Yeah, um, but like and people who know her don't recognize her i love that yeah. um uh i feel like that's the kind of thing that is that right there so the fact that um it's jerboa and her human mate as you said they leave their like hidden space in the outback and they go to hollywood but they change you know with new identities so that nobody will recognize them but the fact that their new identities really are just she puts on glasses he puts mm-hmm. on a mustache and a funny hat yes and i feel like that's a kind of thing that some film viewers, I won't say most, I won't cast aspersions on anybody in particular, but I feel like that's a thing that would hang some people up. Sure. Which is that, like, watching it, you'd be like, well, how... Like, people she knows, who know her really well, yeah. she's famous now, but they still don't know that that's her. All she did was right. put on glasses. Right. And to me, that's kind of the beauty of this kind of a film, because... All it needs to do is indicate to me yes. that this is what's happening. It is a symbolic it change. It it's not believable. a literal change. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't have to make it believable. It doesn't yes. have to like use makeup. It doesn't have to figure out how it works. Just as, like, no, they went and they did this, and then that's how it works. And we just, that's yes. this world. And yeah. I appreciate that so much. But yeah, the conversation same. they're having, which they're, they're, she's arguing that this scene they're shooting is like this hugely important emotional scene and he's saying no it needs more sex yeah but then they apparently make like genuinely uh fulfilling artistic projects well they're winning an oscar yeah yeah so (laughs) i just i thought that was another interesting uh interesting view into maybe the the view of cinema on the part of these filmmakers of like it's it's the the meeting between somebody genuinely trying to uh, achieve some emotional effect, and somebody mm-hmm. who absolutely has their eye on the ball when it comes to exploitation elements. Yes. And making sure those things get jammed together at every turn yeah. so that you're not without them. Yeah. Either. Like, you're not well, without either also... of them. So it's like, it's played for laughs, but actually it is sort of a coherent and and uh, in some ways very convincing aesthetic argument. Well, because they also, they sort of, if you just look at the scene as like a math problem, she's like... I represent the artistic element, and he's like, I represent this this lewd genre element. And at the end of the scene, she's like, our scenes work because they are a combination of us. Right? She literally yes. is like, they work because they are half me and half you. And you're like, got it. I see. <laughs> I, I see the the math you're doing there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and which um, is it's just a thematic that runs through the whole film of you yeah. know, disparate points coming together to mate and create something new. Absolutely. You know, like, like humans, humans mating with marsupial werewolves, werewolves and making new things and, you know, back in time, the, marsupial the werewolves going with into werewolves. the people and yeah, exactly. So it's, it is this sort of uh, plea for this constant intermixture. It's, it, yeah. it's almost like a, it's, a, it's like the dialectics of werewolf sex. 
<laughs> it is. Um, can I tell you two of my other favorite technical, technically playful? Uh, you can moments? tell me anything you want. Um, one of them is there's like a sort of there's this is like. I don't know, two-thirds of the way through the movie, I really lost track of actual time. Um, there's, like, a board meeting where... I think it's ju- maybe just before he decides he's going to rescue them, the main dude, um, where they're, like... He's, like, talking to a bunch of uh, government people, and they're, like, we're going to keep hunting them down or whatever. And he's, like, oh, no. Um, but it's a board meeting where the first half of the shot, every camera is zooming in. It's just zooming in on everyone's face <laughs> and on a picture of a, what, Tasmanian wolf. And then and then there's the middle of the shot, every camera's moving to the side, and then at the end of the shot, every camera's zooming back out. Or the end of the scene. It's like probably a three-minute scene. Um, but it really, it's like start, zoom, 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 move a little bit, zoom, 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 zoom back out. It's really delightfully done. Um, it really is. And then this other one is maybe more artistic than technical, but there's a super, I don't even know what, I don't even know where this, it's like such a pure impulse. I don't know how to define it within the context of the film, but there's a scene where, I don't even remember who's having the conversation. I think maybe the the main dude and the Russian werewolf who are in the, in the midst of falling in love. I think it's when they first have her hypnotized. They have a conversation. It lasts, I don't know, a minute, a minute and a half, however long a scene does. And immediately after it, we cut to a scene of two military guys in a room listening to the second half of that conversation fully through without remarking on it or saying any words of their own in any way. It's just a yes. like it's just a moving shot while these two guys listen and sort of react with their faces a little bit to the conversation you just heard. Um and I wasn't I wasn't sure what the intent was, uh but I truly loved it. <laughs> Yes. Um, I don't know if he was, maybe the idea was like, we really need to hammer in the things they just said, so let's play them twice. Um, or maybe they just wanted, I, I don't know. I don't know what they were doing. Maybe, but it, it's such a beautiful effect. Yeah. Like, I, I, I spent that whole scene the same way you did. It, it, like I said, it's the second time I've seen it, and I was still sure. like, wait, what's happening? I Why yeah. are they saying it again? But, oh, they're listening but at a different time and it does it's just this and it's and it's that same way that i was talking about before where they keep opening up the scope of the film yes yes in these in these like i don't want to overplay how oblique it is like i don't want to say it's like this very elliptical thing because it's not it is straightforward as a film yes but it's a little bit a little bit elliptical a little bit oblique in that they'll do that like, instead yeah. of cut to somebody saying, like, we've got the intel, or, you know, here's why we're listening yes. to it, it just has the scene, and then it has the audio replay while they're listening to it. And it's the yeah. way the, sh- the film bumps back out. And it's out two characters like, you've never seen forget, before. There's... Yeah, exactly. And, and, and we've again. gotten a scene in, like, like I said, in American Central Intelligence, we've gotten a scene with the president, so, like, we know this is yeah. happening in the background, but it's a way yes. that they just... Bump it back out. They 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 expand the scope for you for a minute, and then they go back in. Yeah, um, I yeah. Just, they're I, like, I'm "P.S. Really... Someone is interested in listening to this conversation." Moving on. I, I'm I'm just really I I admire the confidence in that. The, yeah. There are times in the yes. film where you can tell that they they aren't necessarily so confident in um, their ability to convey information. Like they do belabor certain things in dialogue in ways that sure, you're like, sure. "Okay, I understand." Like this is not the most elegantly done. But then there are other times when they do just have this confidence that they can pull something like that off. Yeah. And that you'll just go with it. Yes. And maybe, maybe it's that they, maybe I'm mistaking incompetence for confidence, but I don't think so. Like, I don't I think feel so. like this film is too much of its own considered thing. Like it, yes. it just works together so well and reflects off of itself so well that I, I yes. have a very hard time believing anybody who thinks that most of this stuff is by accident. No, it can't be. It can't be by accident. You couldn't make a film that hangs together this well using a slightly off-kilter film grammar by accident. The small town that the main werewolf lady lives in is called Flow, right? And I, mm-hmm. 
didn't process until there's that shot from the other side of the sign that it's wolf. And I was like, I'm so <laughs> mad at myself for not noticing that before they show it to you. I lo- that's extreme really troll furious. two energy. I'm really yeah. I really love that. Like more films should have a Neil Bog is goblin backwards moment yes. in it. Yeah, agreed. Um, troll two is another one we should do an episode on. It's worth talking about. We should do a we should do a not the worst film in the world episode. Oh, we could do a whole spinoff series of not the worst film in the worlds. Yeah. Like, let's genuinely defend these works. But I feel yeah. like this is one of them, right? Like, this is a very low-rated yeah. film. It was yeah. very poorly received. And it's considered just to be... If it's even considered at all, it's just considered to be this, like, dumb blip. There, It's definitely, like, there are elements of it that are a little clumsy, right? Like, like the werewolf puppets sure. are awesome. Uh, if, and if that's, like, the metric you're going to be judging it on, then I guess... Um, yeah, say, like, there's some not... clunky dialogue. There's some, sure. there's some, you know, stiff choices maybe in, in certain scenes. Mm-hmm. But that's not what it's. But doing. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. No. And like any film that can get you to that, like ballerina changing room scene, right? Oh yeah. Like any yes. any film that can carry you there and have that scene happen and make sense. Yeah. <laughs> is doing something. It's doing something. <laughs> um. And it's also a film that contains... I don't know if it's the only one I've ever seen. I'm sure there's others. But mm-hmm. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Another film that has a, a like a genuine um, pregnancy anxiety dream from the perspective of a female main character. Yeah. Like, that happens that's in this true. film. And and it's not in the context of some, like, demonic pregnancy or something that's going to go wrong. No, nope. It's just in the context of she's pregnant and then she has... Uh, like a healthy, adorable, beautiful baby. child, yeah. a little beautiful half werewolf baby that grows up to be a new species in the world. Like, but it and because it's, it's and a it, horror it's film and because it celebratorily, yeah. That's the other thing about this movie is doing that I think makes it maybe unique amongst werewolf movies is that they're not the monsters, right? They're like they're just another species. Sometimes they murder people. They don't didn't necessarily want to be murdering people uh but it's like it's a very celebrate I mean, the movie looks at them the same way the like anthropologist professor or whatever he is does right where he they're like mm-hmm. no isn't it crazy that another animal could have evolved to look just like people isn't that bonkers <laughs> yeah yeah no it, and it it does um yes also that birth scene yeah. is like truly delightful and sweet and that little baby puppet is yeah. cute. I really liked it. I really liked it. The whole time she's carrying it around really her little is, pouch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like she, yeah, but she like guides him into the pouch and he crawls in. It's yeah. like, hello, there you are. Like it is this. It, it's it's kind of amazing. Like she's yeah. absolutely, you know, I, I like I said, I don't want to make too big of a thing of that, but but like she's absolutely a main character with her own agency it's not like she's you know introduced through the eyes of anybody else everything happens through her perspective yeah you know through half the film um and i just was i i was struck by that the the way they treated like things happening to her body not as like this thing coming from outside but like she's going through these changes and she's having to deal with it she's having it i mean it's all it is basically what she what jerbo is talking about in that scene later when they're making the film they're talking about like this you know this woman's having genuine emotional breakdowns and then also those those emotional breakdowns involve a lot of sex because she's you know like she's in heat or she's she's mating and she's falling in love and then she's having a child which is the you know this like weird end result of it and it plays it like body horror for a minute but then it plays it just like like you said like this miracle of childbirth but in this very body centric (laughs) way of like it's messy and it's hairy and it's gooey but it's adorable yeah i I, like i i'm trying to think of like the only other filmmaker i can think that deals with this kind of thing in horror is cronenberg but cronenberg is always going to filter it back through um, yeah. like a metaphorically male perspective, right? Like yes. you think about The Brood. Yes. The Brood is a very body-centric pregnancy film, but it's about male anxiety about pregnancy. Yes. Male anxiety about mothers. Yeah. Um, it's not about... I, and, yes. and, and, and Cronenberg's artistry is, I think, um, substantive enough that there is 
some of the female anxiety in it as well that comes through because I think he's a, a like a consummate thinker uh, when it comes to creating situations like that. But it's not the focus of the film, and it's not what the film cares about. Yeah, yeah, it's not his main um, goal. And, like, and you know, he's he's processing his own uh, fears about this stuff, whereas this film is absolutely interested in Jerboa's yes. experience of it. Um, you know, more than anyone else's. Yes. So much you know, so that he, she's the only character whose name I know. Yeah, right? You know, even, I, what's the, the scientist, the the anthropologist's name, like Breckenmeyer or something? Sure. Um, that's far, f- fel- Falcon, Falconfeld? Yeah. I don't know. But whatever he, like, he's, I, he's, he's a, seems like he's the protagonist at the beginning of it, but he really is just like an interloper into this world. He's, and he causes he's more harm than he does good at first. He he's right? our like, he's our lens, right? We like follow him into this world. Yeah. Uh and he's he plays that role of the character who's like explain to me. <laughs> Quite yeah. literally on many occasions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is I find I that was the one thing I that maybe drove me nuts the most is that this dude is like tell me how your species came to be. And I was like Tell me how humans came to be, you dinkus. <laughs> why would any why would anyone know that? Yeah. No, like he's kind of a dick through a he lot of it. Even he's like, oh, I'm trying to help you. Once he actually gets them in there, he's like asking them questions in a really rough way. And he's like forcing that yeah. guy to change with a yeah. strobe light. With a strobe light? Um, what a jerk. But he's not our only vantage point. He's not our only right. perspective through the film. Like Jabot is a parallel perspective. They don't even meet yes. for a huge bulk of the film. Yeah. Right? And yeah, so well, they, they like getting... don't meet and then they do. And then they go back apart. And we stay parallel. Yeah. And then they meet again for like yeah, if, 20 minutes and then they go apart again. They're together for the and, smallest and part of the movie. Zipping from to different perspectives. Yeah. Like it jump it jumps uh point of view character all the time, but in a way that it's not like I said, it's not messy. It's No, it's, it's just it's actually, two parallel lines. It's creating this uh it, it almost sounds like too much to say about the marsupials, the Howling yeah. Three, but it's like yeah. it's creating a tapestry of, of multiple perspectives on these same events without like going even heavy-handed like Rashomon style, like, sure. it, like making a point of like, oh, you're getting different point of views. No, you're just getting them. It's just yeah, they it's have just like, a bunch of is. characters and they imagine them in different spaces having different feelings about the same things. Yeah. And then you you just get to have that. I love this movie. <laughs> um, uh, this feels like a... Uh, I feel like we've just been saying really nice things and this is just a thing I thought was funny but there's a really beautiful moment the this Kendi character who like pops up and appears everywhere and likes to scare people and is helpful uh, in his final moments transforms into the werewolf and then helps the, he fights off some soldiers and then they find him and he's dying and she's like Kendi you're gonna become a river and then a rainbow and then a mountain and he says no way I'm just gonna die <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, know. I had I put in like, my notes too. It was such a great moment. Yeah, I was like, I want, I want that. I want that as a, yeah. I don't know, a gif. What do people? How do you communicate with two seconds of a movie? I want it. And, and like maybe I'm giving the film too much credit, but it almost feels like it's like poking fun at people who, um, like overly romanticize to the point of dehumanize Aboriginal sure people. Um, because Kendi is is an Aborigine. Is, yeah. Um, one but, of like, two it's in the not, movie? I think so, yeah. Um, and I love the other guy, because the other guy's a, the, the guy that the, the like, white hunters pay to track the werewolves, and then yeah. he gets halfway there. And it's not the classic kind of, like, Tarzan, where he just gets scared and runs away or whatever. Yeah. He's just like, I don't... This is not for me. And they're like, we'll give you an extra $20. He's like, how am I going to spend $20 when I'm dead? Yeah. And then the other guy's like, I'll give you $50. And he's like, no. And he leaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like very clear. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I loved Kendi's last words. That was great. And it, it did seem like, yeah, this like, oh, all of this magical force yeah. will flow for me. It was like, no, I'm a living being. I'm just dead. Yeah. <laughs> but his delivery is so good. Hell no, I'm just going to die. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like, I mean, I don't know. Do we do we want to run down? Thi- I, we're just gushing about this film, but I, I loved it. I, we could run down some issues with it, I'm sure, but I don't care to. 
anybody I, who anybody is, who listens to this and feels like maybe they want to watch it, they're going to have their own reaction to whatever yeah, the course. janky bits are, and they're going to, I hope, see the uh, core of it for what it is. Yeah, yeah, there are janky bits. Know that. This is uh, this is my question that you're uh, you haven't seen the first one so you don't actually have the answer for me on this one I guess um, but so we got to the end and I was like I know there are more of the howlings but by the end of this film first of all there was some kind of werewolf war that happened off screen uh, that ended with humanity accepting werewolves and then at the very end of the movie Jerboa the sort of main marsupial werewolf turns into a werewolf at the the laser Oscars in the future. Um, <laughs> on live TV and nobody knew she was one. So presumably it's an issue. Although it seems like at that point, maybe it's okay that people are werewolves. Um, and I was like, I think the idea is that like, they're not going to kill her, but maybe right. it's not really accepted to have in sure. the high society. She's going to lose jobs. Know. Yeah. Um, or something. Yeah. It's a status loss rather than, it's a scandal. So, so I, was, I was like, how then are there more <laughs> in this timeline? Um, but then I was remembering Jason I'm I'm pretty positive the end of The Howling One is a woman telling everyone on live television that werewolves are real, and then to prove it, transforming into a werewolf. So then... I believe that is correct. Then I was like, maybe that's what ties all the movies together. Maybe all of them end with the revealing of werewolves to the world at large, and then maybe, like, Howling Seven starts with the first six reveals and it, and it turns out they all happen on the same timeline where just like someone's flipping channels and live on six different channels people are turning into werewolves from the ends of the previous movies and then we move on from there or something i just it seems i mean that would be very or maybe the idea is they're they're not like a serialized uh, sequels right maybe they're just set in parallel worlds and they all end with the werewolves being revealed yeah i mean that is an ambitious uh, attempt at a unified theory of howlings. Um, <laughs> but, but I've only I do, seen one so and three, I, so... <laughs> so I've only seen three, but again, from the internet, uh, my understanding is, yes, the first one ends with werewolves being revealed to the world, Yeah, and then the second one just straight ignores that, oh, but okay. continues on as if it's a sequel to the first one anyway. Okay. So it just ignores that part. Sure. Um... And then the third one has no connection whatsoever to the first two. Right. But that scene at the end is almost certainly a joke at the expense of the first film. Yes, that makes sense. Um, so then the fourth one is like a reboot because they go back and they readapt the first novel. And then okay. the other ones are sequels to the fourth one. Uh, the one thing you did guess right, though, is that, again, according to the internet, the seventh one recycles a lot of footage. So. Oh, really? Great. <laughs> If I was in charge of making the seventh one, I would definitely restructure the timeline Fast and Furious style, right? Where it would be like, no, 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 the reason they don't know about it, it goes four, two, and then one and three at the same time, and then five, and then six, and then seven. Yeah, obviously. And then Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. But werewolves. Yeah. Which I would watch. (laughs) Although... Can a bald man be a werewolf? I don't know if, if either Hobbs or Shaw I would buy as a werewolf. The main dude, the main marsupial dude in this is bald. Oh, that's true. That's he weird. looks like Nick Cassavetes from Face Off. He does. Giant, thick Nick Cassavetes. <laughs> thick neck Cassavetes. Yeah. <laughs> Synesthesia is produced by Iguana Donald Studios and distributed by Split Tooth Media. Featuring music by The Cocktails, courtesy of Tight Ship Records. Theme music by Soft Healer. 
Synesthesia is recorded before a lively audible seance. We're back, baby. Bill, 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 Bill,